And amen. Good evening to you. You can be seated. Welcome. So glad you're here. Those of you online, we're so glad you're joining with us. Hey, if you haven't already, oh yeah, we have them in the back now. <laughs> so uh, we're going to partake together of communion tonight. So if you haven't got the elements, we have two tables. One is located back there and one is back there. You might want to get them now, have them ready because at the conclusion of the Bible study we will celebrate uh, communion. Those of you online, if you wish to partake with us, now would be a good time to get the elements ready as well. While you're doing that, I want to mention a couple things that I had already announced Tuesday at our prayer meeting. First, we would covet your prayers for my wife, Kelly, who has been battling breast cancer. And uh, as I mentioned Tuesday night, and I, I hope you guys know this about me, about us. We seek not pity, we seek only prayer. Uh, we have known about this for several months now, but it's uh, now to the point where it's spreading to the lymph nodes. We didn't want to, uh, this was back in the summer, but we didn't want to go public uh, with it yet because we just didn't want any unnecessary attention uh, to be on us. There's already enough <laughs> as it is. And uh, my wife, my amazing wife of 35 years, we've been together 37 years, that woman has treasures in heaven. Being married to me that long, putting up with me, amazing. She's an amazing woman. But she has continually reminded me that I'm to keep my hands to the plow and preach the Word, as I'm so privileged to in this His church. So I'm going to keep doing that, uh, be that as it may. Secondly, I am, as I mentioned on Tuesday, going to be taking some time off starting on Monday, uh, December the 11th, and returning, Lord willing, and if we're still here, uh, Tuesday, January 9th, which will be our next prayer meeting. Note, it will not be on January 2nd, the day after New Year's. We're going to wait until Tuesday, January the 9th, and then I will return. And I'm very much looking forward to it. And then I'm going to announce this again one more time on Sunday, December 10th. That'll be my last Sunday in the pulpit uh, before taking time off to be with my family. Also, uh, kind of been looking forward to sharing this with you. I think I might have mentioned it on Tuesday night. So today is December 7th, right? Uh, Pearl Harbor Day. 20 years ago on Pearl Harbor Day, December the 7th of 2003, my wife and I got on a plane with our then five and three-year-old boys and boxes with inflatable mattresses, because our stuff was in a matching container somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. So we moved here 20 years ago today, on December 7th of 2003, to start this church. And fast forward 20 years, December 7th. And if somebody would have told me on December 7th, 20, 
it wasn't even, you can't say 20 nothing, 20 nothing, 2003. If somebody would have said to me on December 7, 2003, you're going to have the privilege and honor of standing before your church in 20 years on this day, and thank them for being such a loving church, a giving church, and a praying church, especially a praying church, I would not have believed you. So I just want to say to you, thank you, 20 years later. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you guys. Uh, this is not an exaggeration. Lastly, I virtually every Sunday when we have online visitors, you know, when you see that line, uh, sometimes longer than others, these are people that are visiting from all over the world. And by the way, you're their church and I'm their pastor, uh, whether we know it or not. And so they come to visit. And it's almost weekly, and this is again not an exaggeration, where I will have at least one of these visitors say to me, you have an amazing church. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and they, and they, they hear me when I say that if I wasn't the pastor of this church, this is where I would go to church, because you guys are the real deal. And they say, we, we walked in and we knew it right away. So I just want to say all that to say thank you. I love you so much. And you guys are amazing. And so thank you very much for praying for my wife. Thank you. <laughs> uh, okay. I'm going to smudge my mascara again. Hey, we're going to do two chapters tonight and communion. So I hope you brought your pajamas and toothbrushes, if you wear pajamas. No, these are really interesting chapters. I know I say that every week, but why don't we pray, and then we'll just ask God to bless our time together. If you would, please join with me. Father in heaven, thank you. God, we're just, uh, we're just so in awe of you, and all that you have done. I mean, as we're going to actually see tonight in these two chapters, as only you can, you do that which only you can do, so that we know unmistakably that it's you. And so that you alone receive all of the glory, do your holy name. And so Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for these people that have, many of whom have been with me and my family through many hardships, and <laughs> just always been there. And so Lord, I thank you for them. And I thank you for these midweek Bible studies. They're a lifeline for many of us. I know for me personally, I look forward to teaching the Old Testament, sometimes more than I do on Sunday mornings. It's just our time together. And so Lord, we want to commit it to you and ask of you to bless it, especially tonight as we celebrate the communion table. 
So we commit our time together to you, and we ask your blessing on our time together in your word tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so spent some time seeking the Lord, I always do, but particularly about tonight's teaching and communion as well. And I made the decision to talk about this particular topic, namely that of how God does what God does. It could also be, I guess, subtitled, Why God Does What God Does, The Way God Does What God Does. That's the gift of complication right there. In other words, God does what God does in such a fashion so that there's no question mark. It's unmistakably Him, because only He could do that. There's no way that that, whatever that is, could have ever happened unless it was God who did it. There's no question mark. Without question, it was only God who did it. And such is the case with the two chapters before us tonight. What we're about to see is so over the top impossible, that there's no way, any way, anyone but God could have done what we're about to read that God would do. I mean, you'll forgive the play on words here, but the odds, it's not the odds, it's the God not the odds. Because the odds, not even insurmountable, uh, not, not incalculable, impossible, literally, this is not against all odds. This defies any reason what we're about to see. Only God could do that. And that's why God does what He does, and how God does what He does, and why God does what He does, so that we will know it was God who did it. So you ready? Let's jump in. Uh, by the way, chapter 35 is a very short chapter, but it is a very interesting chapter. Verse 1, Moreover the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Mount Seir, and prophesy against it, and say to it, verse 3, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, O Mount Seir, I am against you. I will stretch out my hand against you, and make you most desolate. I shall lay your cities waste, and you shall be desolate, then you shall know, I'm the one who did it, that I am the Lord. Uh, did you count four times in three verses where God says against? You can do it real quick if you want. I'll let you. I'll give you a moment. Four times in three verses against. 
My face is against Mount Seir. Prophesy against it. I am against it. My hand is against it. I'm going to make it desolate. The mountains of Seir. This is, by the way, modern day Jordan. Uh, Edom. The descendants of Esau. We'll see this in a moment. And so this is a prophecy against the mountains of Seir, chapter 35, and their desolation. Then when we get to chapter 36, and we will get to chapter 36, it is a prophecy not against Mount Seir for their desolation, but the mountains of Israel for their restoration. So they're kind of like bookends in terms of their prophetic significance. And they go together and they tie together, as we're about to see, because of what the Edomites did to the Israelites. What did they do? Well, let's move on. Verse 5, here's what they did. Because you, the Edomites, Mount Seir, have had an ancient hatred. Remember talking about this ancient hatred? Deep-rooted, seething bitterness and hatred against the Israelites, and have shed the blood of the children of Israel by the power of the sword at the time of their calamity, when their iniquity came to an end. Therefore, as I live, says the Lord God, I will prepare you for blood, and blood shall pursue you, since you have not hated blood. Therefore, blood shall pursue you. Reminds me of a proverb. This is a very loose paraphrase. You'll forgive me, but it basically goes like this. What you pursue, pursues you. You pursue righteousness, righteousness pursues you. You pursue evil, evil pursues you. The Edomites were pursuing blood, blood will pursue you. So what, what, what did they do? Apparently, uh, and we'll see this again, but because it's going to get flipped over in chapter 36. But when the Babylonians in that third and final siege destroyed Jerusalem and destroyed the temple. The Jews fled as refugees, trying to escape. Where are they going to go? Edom. What did Edom do when the Jew fled Jerusalem, seeking refuge from the Babylonians? They killed them and took from them, and even, as we'll see in a moment, tried to take their land from them, taking advantage of them at a time of their calamity, because they had been made desolate, and Edom sought to, by the power of the sword, they killed them because of their ancient hatred and they wanted to take from them and try to even take the land from them, since they had been dispossessed 
from the land. And the land was now desolate, and theirs for the taking. Not only did they kill the Jews that tried to flee and seek refuge in Edom, but so too did they take everything that they had, all of their possessions that they had with them, and even wanting to take their land. They shed their blood, they pursued their blood. And now God says, what you pursue will pursue you. And be, I'm going to make you desolate because of what you did to my people. You killed them. They fled seeking refuge and you killed them. And by the way, this ancient hatred, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. Uh, Edom, remember when they were making the exodus out of the Promised Land and they couldn't pass through Edom? Because remember now, Edom is Esau, the <laughs> fraternal twin brother of one Yahob, Jacob. And the enmity, the, the hatred between Esau and Jacob reaches to this day. In Israel today, this ancient hatred is alive and well today between the descendants of Esau and the descendants of Jacob, the Israelites. So verse 7, here's what I'm going to do, because I can, and only I can do what I'm going to do. What are you going to do? I will, I will make Mount Seir most desolate, and cut off from it the one who leaves and the one who returns. And I will fill, verse 8, its mountains with the slain on your hills, and in your valleys, and on all your ravines. Those who are slain by the sword shall fall. And I want you to pay particular attention to verse 9. I will make you perpetually desolate, and your city shall be uninhabited. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. Translated, I'm going to do this in such a way so that there's no mistaking that it was me who did it. Because you've got to understand that at this time, Mount Seir, Edom, Petra, the areas, these cities, these were metropolises. These were prosperous, thriving, populated cities. And for Ezekiel to prophesy this while he's in Babylon there in Tel Aviv, this would have been ridiculous. You're going to make Mount Seir desolate? This is a joke, right? Have you seen the travel brochures for Mount Seir lately? You're going to make it desolate. You're going to lay it waste. And the bodies are going to pile up of the slain in the hills and the valleys and the ravines. No way. Way. And by the way, I'm going to make it perpetually desolate to this day. Because you go there today, some of you have. Am I yelling? I'm not angry. <laughs> These are my people though. Because <laughs> my, my mom is from there and her family. This area, 
in uh, modern day Jordan. And, but <laughs> you go there today, there's nothing there. Well, that's be because God said there's not going to be anything there. Go, go there today and there are no people inhabiting or populating the area. You know why? Because God said there are not going to be any people inhabiting or populating the area. So in other words, how about, how about if I phrase it like this? Am I having too much fun with this? <laughs> how about if I phrase it like this? You want to prove the Word of God and the God of Word, the Word wrong? Show me cities inhabited, thriving metropolises in this area that God said, I'm going to make perpetually desolate. It will never be inhabited again. Go ahead. <laughs> you won't. Well, how, how is that going to happen? God's going to do it. Well, it's going to have to be God who does it, because there's no way that could happen unless it was God who does it. That's what He's saying. Then you're going to know. That's how you're going to know. Can I say it like that? That's how you're going to know that I am the Lord. This is how you're going to know that I did what I did, because only I could do that. Because there's no way you could ever explain how Mount Seir, this once thriving, prosperous, I mean metropolis, is now nothing. Because God in Ezekiel chapter 35 said, this is what I'm going to do, and He did it. And that's how He did it. Verse 10. Here comes the Esau-Jacob connection. Because you have said, these two nations and these two countries shall be mine, and we will possess them, although the Lord was there. Hang on, that's verse 10. We'll get to verse 11, but hang on one second. Couple thoughts. The two nations in your womb, Esau and Jacob. Just like uh, prior in the Old Testament, you have two nations in your womb. So now Israel is no more. The land is desolate. So Edom is thriving. And they're like, hey, Let's capitalize on this opportunity, and let's possess the land now, and we'll take it for ourselves. And so we'll have both Edom and Israel. Grandpa Esau would be very proud. Yeah, that works. That was Genesis, so we're good. But did you catch what the Lord says here at the end of verse 10? You, you'll forgive again my paraphrase here, but nice try, guys. Yeah, the Jews may not be there, but I'm there. The Lord was there. Therefore, verse 11, here it is again, as I live, says the Lord God, I will do according to your anger and according to the envy which you showed in your hatred 
against them, and I will make myself known among them when I judge you. They'll know it was me. When I do what I do, the way I do it, and how I do it, I'll make myself known. Um, I want to point out one thing before we move on to verse 12, real quick. Notice these two words, envy and hatred. They're roommates. Isn't it true that we hate those that we envy? and vice versa, we envy those that we hate. And if you ever wanted to put a caption on a picture or a painting of envy and hatred, it would be the envy and the hatred that the Edomites had towards and against the Israelites. So when you do something about that envy and that hatred. I mean, you can let it fester, keep it inside. But when you act on it, as the Edomites did, Mount Seir, that's on a whole new level. And that's exactly what they did. What did they do because of their envy and hatred? Oh, they tried to steal the land from their enemies. They tried to possess the land because there was nobody there. And the Lord's like, no, I'm still, I'm still there. And that's still my land. And I see what you're doing. And I'm going to pay you accordingly, by the way. Then verse 12, here it is again. I hope you don't get tired of hearing this. We're going to hear it. And we have heretofore heard this over and over and over again. Would you get, you kind of get the impression, verse 12, that you shall know that I am the Lord. That the whole point of all of this is so that you will know that I am the Lord. And he goes on in verse 12 and says, I have heard all your blasphemies which you have spoken against the mountains of Israel, saying, they're desolate. They are given to us to consume. They're ours for the taking. Let's do this. Let's capitalize on this. After all, never let a good crisis or Babylonian captivity of the Israelites go to waste. Thus with your mouth you have boasted against me. Oh, <laughs> and multiplied your words against me. I have heard them. Watch this. I have heard every word. And you boasted and blasphemed. But what you didn't realize is that you were blaspheming me. And your words were multiplied against me. And I heard every single word. Verse 14, thus says the Lord God. This is interesting. The whole earth will rejoice when I make you desolate. It's like, thank you God for finally giving the Edomites, Mount Seir, what they have deserved, well deserved all along. Finally, God, thank you. And the whole earth, like the, the earth is now like, oh, finally. 
and they're rejoicing. They're writing worship songs, praising God, rejoicing, because finally Mount Seir is desolate. In other words, they had oppressed the surrounding peoples. And, and notice the connection here, lastly, verse 15, the last verse in the chapter, as you rejoiced because the inheritance of the house of Israel was desolate, so I will do to you, so you shall be desolate, O Mount Seir, as well as all of Edom, all of it. Then they shall know that I am the Lord. So fast forward, after I do this, you're going to go, whoa, I know that had to be the Lord who did that. All of Edom, all of it. Mount Seir, desolate, desolate. And here's why. You rejoice when Israel was made desolate. Now the earth will rejoice when I make you desolate. In other words, I'm going to do to you what you did to them. Sound familiar? Everything you did to them, I am going to repay you in kind proportionately, and I'm going to reciprocate. You rejoice. And isn't, and we're going to see this now in chapter 36, but isn't it interesting that God hears every word spoken against you? And that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Don't try to do it yourself. You'll mess it up. If you only knew what I'm planning to do, you'll, you'll, you'll wait. Because what I'm going to do is going to be way more better. How are you going to do it? That's for me to know and you to find out. You're not going to know how I'm going to do it. You're just going to know that I'm going to do it. And after I do it, you're going to know that I am the Lord. Now watch this interesting uh, segue, for lack of a better word, in the chapter 36. Now, we go from the prophecy against Mount Seir, a prophecy of desolation to now in chapter 36, a prophecy of restoration for the mountains of Israel, because of Mount Seir. And you, son of man, verse 1, chapter 36, prophesy to the mountains of Israel and say, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, because the enemy has said of you, aha, the ancient heights have become our possession. They're going in for the kill. At your lowest point, your worst enemy is going to just pile on and rush in, because your enemy has fallen. Aha! Finally. But remember now, God heard every word. And apparently from prior chapters, this aha word, not a good word. <laughs> don't, don't you find it interesting, the detail? Because the enemy has said of you, 
this one word, aha. That's a bad word. Don't use this word, aha. Aha! Kind of like, I've been waiting for this day. I'm going to come in and swoop in. And this is my opera. I've been waiting for this day to come. And finally it's here. Aha! And I'm going to take now and possess the land. Therefore prophesy, verse 3, and say, Thus says the Lord God, because they made you desolate, and swallowed you up on every side, so that you became the possession of the rest of the nations. And you are taken up by the lips of talkers, and slandered by the people. Therefore, verse 4, O mountains of Israel, hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, the valleys, the desolate wastes, and the cities that have been forsaken, which became plunder and mockery to the rest of the nations all around. Therefore, verse 5, thus says the Lord God, surely I have spoken in my burning jealousy against the rest of the nations, and against all Edom, who gave my land to themselves as a possession. <laughs> and get this, with wholehearted joy and spiteful minds, in order to plunder its open country. Big boo-boo. In other words, because you did this, now he's, he's not speaking to Edom anymore. They're toast, with a capital T and a capital toast. Now he's turning his attention to his people what they did to you, what they said about you, how they slandered you, how they killed you, how they took from you, how they spoke of you. <laughs> I heard every word. You belong to me. That's my kid. <laughs> I know I use this, it, this illustration, but I think it's apropos. Um, my baby girl, uh, she's 16 now, but she's still my baby girl. When she was very young, she came home from school one day, and she was crying. I'm like, what happened? She said, there was this boy. I interrupted her. Where does he live? <laughs> he was mean to me. And I tell you, there was a burning inside of me. And I was like, he is in great danger. <laughs> that's what, <laughs> okay, that was too much, I know. But that's what God's saying here. You're my kid. They, they hurt you, they, what they did to you. And they did it with wholehearted joy, with all of their hearts full of joy. And how about this? That's the heart. What about the mind? Spiteful. They did this with spiteful minds and wholehearted joy in their hearts. They were enjoying every minute of it. Being mean to my little baby girl. 
I will make you desolate. <laughs> you just, so that's when my amazing wife I just told you about stepped in, and she's been so good to protect me from me, from myself. Okay, verse 6. <laughs> Therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel, and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers, and the valleys, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, here it is again, I have spoken of my jealousy and my fury, because you have borne the shame of nations. Therefore, verse 7, Thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath, that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. But you, O mountains of Israel. Now, I want to preface this, because it's just words on the pages of our Bible. But just imagine how these words would have been music to the ears of those captives in Tel Abib, just close in proximity to Babylon, to hear what Ezekiel is now going to prophesy. Restoration? Wait, what? Oh Israel, oh mountains of Israel, my people, I, I saw what they did to you. And you belong to me. And what they did to you, they did against me. So you know what I'm going to do? First of all, it's a, it's a double whammy. On this side, I'm going to make them desolate, desolation. But in concert with that, on this side, I'm going to bring restoration. Can you imagine how that would have just been a soothing balm on a broken heart of an Israelite there in Babylon? You shall shoot forth your branches, and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. And listen to verse 9, for indeed I am for you, and I will turn to you, and you shall be tilled and sown. In other words, I'm on your side, and I'm going to come to your defense because I am for you. And as the Apostle Paul would say to the church in Rome, if God be for you, who can be against you? And I'm going to restore you. I will multiply men upon you, verse 10, all the house of Israel, all of it. And the city shall be inhabited, and the ruins rebuilt. Wait, how, how's that gonna, how is that even possible? It's not. But it's possible for me, because I'm God. Yeah, but it's all lying in ruins. It's all a heap of rubble. There's nobody even there anymore. The Edomites tried to take possession of it. You took care of that. So they're not even there. You're there. But all that's there is just rubble and ruin. And you're saying that you're going to take those ruins and rebuild them? Oh yeah. I'm going to do it first. This is a partial and near fulfillment, but it would have a far and future and full fulfillment, yet future. But He would bring them back to the land with Ezra and Nehemiah. And this would be fulfilled. 
Again, not against all odds. There's no odds here. This is an absolute impossibility in the realm of the natural. Only God could do this in the realm of the supernatural. And He's saying, I'm going to rebuild those cities. Oh, you're going to do that? Yeah. How are you going to do that? You'll see. And then when, not if I do it, you'll know that I did it, because there's no way that anybody other than me could have done that. Verse 11, I will multiply upon you men and beasts, and they shall increase and bear young. I will make you inhabited as in former times, and do better for you than at your beginnings. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. This might be a word for someone tonight. You're broken, and God has a word for you. He's going to not only restore you, but He's even, because only God can do this. He's not only going to restore you and heal you, but it's even going to be better than it was before. How is that even possible? It's not. But with God, all things are possible. Uh, I learned many years ago that when you have a broken bone, it heals stronger at the point of its break. We are so fearfully and wonderfully made. So again, maybe that's a word for somebody here tonight. God is not through with you. Yeah, you've been chastised, disciplined, you're broken, you're defeated. God's going to restore you. And not only is He going to restore you, He's going to make it even better for you than it ever was before. Better for you than at your beginnings. Is it not true that God is the God of new beginnings? Yes, verse 12, I will cause men to walk on you, my people Israel. My people Israel. We are. They shall take possession of you, and you shall bear their inheritance. No more shall you bereave them of children. Thus says the Lord God, verse 13, because they say to you, you devour men and bereave your nation of children. Therefore you shall devour men no more, nor bereave your nation anymore, says the Lord God. Nor will I let you hear, verse 15, the taunts of the nations anymore, nor bear the reproach of the peoples anymore, nor shall you cause your nation to stumble anymore, says the Lord. In other words, it ends right here and right now. No longer will you be the laughing stock of the neighborhood. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, verse 16, saying, Son of man, verse 17, when the house of Israel dwelt in their own land, they defiled it by their own ways and deeds. To me, their way was like the uncleanness of a woman in her customary impurity they had become impure in the sight of the Lord. Therefore, verse 18, I poured out my fury on them for the blood they had shed on the land, and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So 
I scattered them, verse 19, among the nations, and they were dispersed throughout the countries. I judged them according to their ways and their deeds. When they came to the nations, wherever they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said of them, these are the people of the Lord, and yet they have gone out of His land. But, verse 21, I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations wherever they went. Now, I know we've talked about this. I, I, I think it's important to uh, just kind of parenthetically mention this at this juncture. When you hear the word profane, where we get profanity, it, it has a different connotation uh, in our understanding. And it's unfortunate, because we, we misunderstand profane as just being foul. Profanity, foul language. That's not what profane means. Profane means you take the sacred and you bring it down and you make it common. You profane it. You put it on an equal level playing field. That's profaning the name of God. In other words, you are identified by my name, and you have profaned my name. And I'm concerned for my name, my reputation that you've profaned. Therefore, verse 22, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, I do not do this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which you have profaned among the nations wherever you went. And verse 23, I will sanctify my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned. I don't want to count how many words profaned we have here in their midst. And the nations shall know that I am the Lord, says the Lord God, when, listen, I am hallowed, revered, in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, and from all your idols. I will give you, verse 26, a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. I will deliver you, verse 29, from all your uncleanness. Stay with me. This is really cool. I will call for the grain and multiply it, and bring no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of your trees and the increase of your fields, so that you need never again bear the reproach of famine among the nations. Then, by the way, that was and is continuing to be fulfilled in our day. 
This desolate land is now exporting fruit to the entire world. Then, verse 31, you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and your abominations. Not for your sake, verse 32, do I do this, says the Lord God. Let it be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded. It's a sanctified shame for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, on the day that I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will also enable you to dwell in the cities, and the ruins shall be rebuilt. The desolate land shall be tilled instead of lying desolate in the sight of all who pass by. So they will say, whole, because they're locals. <laughs> this land was desolate, and it's become like the Garden of Eden. And the wasted, desolate, and ruined cities are now fortified and inhabited. Who did that? How did that happen? Then the nations, verse 36, which are left all around you shall know that I, I did that. You like that? Yeah, man, the other day we were walking by and this place was desolate and the cities were bus up and ruined, piles of rubble. And now we, we you know, every, every year we kind of, you know, get the RV and we travel and we drove by and it's like, whoa, look at this place. Is this even the same place? How did this happen? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I did that. And I did it for my namesake. Wait, what do you mean? Well, see, they, my people profane my name. So I did it for my namesake, so that you would look at my people who profane my name, and you'll see how I treat my people, how I forgive my people, how I restore my people, how I bless and prosper my people who were laid waste, their land desolate, uninhabited, and you see what I do, and how I do what I do, you're going to go, wow, you are the Lord God. See? You know it. Yeah, because I mean, there's no other way. There's no other explanation. It had to be. And that's why God does what God does, and how God does what God does, so that people will go, God did that. Is that too simple? You're in a situation in your life right now, and you're going, okay, God, this, this is impossible. And God's response, in a sanctified way, of course, I don't want to profane, <laughs> but God's like, wait, did you say that, that it's impossible? God's like, cool. Yeah, but Mount Seir, come on. It's desolate, come on. That's impossible. Did you say that was impossible? Cool. <laughs> the mountains of Israel, rebuilt, inhabited, prospered, blessed, fruitful. <laughs> That's impossible. Wait, did you just say impossible? Cool. 
listen, I just, I, this is the way I teach. So that's how I see God. Just, I see Him that way. I just see Him as, He's my Father. He's my Daddy. And He loves me so much. He loves you so much. And think about this, and I don't want to take too much time, because I want to leave time for communion. But think about this. We're almost done with the chapter, but think about this. God will take me as His own when I give my life to Him at great risk to His name being profaned by me. And God is saying, I know that you have profaned my name, but I'm going to make my name hallowed and revered, not that way, but this way. This is how I'm going to do it. How are you going to do it? I'm going to blow everyone out of the water. <laughs> I'm just going to bless you, restore you, cleanse you not just cover your sins. We'll talk about that in the communion celebration. I'm going to actually cleanse you. I'm going to put a new spirit within you. This is the new covenant, the cup of the new covenant in my blood, that cleanses you of all of your unrighteousness. And, and when the people see how I did what I did in your life, they will know that I was the one who did it. And they're going to want themselves some of that. That's why I do what I do and how I do what I do, so that they will look at you and go, who is like their God? Because see, the gods that they worship, the false gods, this would, this would not even be imaginable, incomprehensible, unfathomable. What God is this? His people have profaned His name. Man, if that was our God, is this, you remember as kids when your parents, if I ever talked to my mom and dad like that, they would have, you know, you can write the next paragraph in that. But man, my, my, my God would never let me get away with that. Well, I'm not letting them get away with anything. I'm restoring them for my namesake. I'm forgiving them. I'm cleansing them. I'm rebuilding them. And that's how I'm going to do what I'm going to do, so that it's me that receives all the glory. Because no, there is no one but you, O God. Who is like unto you, O God? Only you, O God, could do that and did. I, the Lord, have rebuilt the ruined places and planted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken it, and I will do it. I think I did, I, did, uh, I don't know why I did this time, but I did some counting, you know, like the first three verses of chapter uh, 35 against four times in three verses. You know how many times I will is in chapter 36? 18. You can count them. Not now, though. But when you go home, count 18 times chapter 36. I will for you. 
for my name's sake. I will do it. Thus says the Lord God, I will also, watch this, let the house of Israel inquire of me to do this for them. I will increase their men like a flock. We talked about this Tuesday night at the prayer meeting. Um, the question is asked, you know, well, why do I need to pray? God's going to do what God's going to do. No, 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 no. I, I want you to pray and ask me to do what I told you 18 times in this chapter, I will do. Well, then why do I need to ask you to do what you said 18 times you will do? Because it's for you. Because then when you ask me and then I do it, and you'll know that it was me who did it. If you didn't ask, and then I do it, you just go, yeah. But because you asked, and then I did it, because I will, 18 times, I will, I will, I will. And by the way, that might be a word for somebody tonight. I know it's a word for me, <laughs> because the I in me, no, I will. God's going, oh, you will, will you? No, I will. No, I, I got this. Oh, you do, do you? Okay, go ahead. I'll, I'll just wait. I'll be here, you know, when you're unable to do that which I alone will and can do. I will. I will increase their men like flock. Verse 38, last verse, like a flock offered as holy sacrifices, like the flock at Jerusalem on its feast days. Oh, if you could just imagine the festive, just mood during the feasts in Jerusalem, all the people, and just, I mean, I'm going to make it like that. So shall the ruined cities be filled with the flocks of men. And then the chapter ends with yet again, then they, they, shall know who's they. Oh, the ones that are watching what your God is doing for you, despite you, after you profaned His name. They're going to look at this thing and go, oh, again, because they're local. <laughs> they shall know that I am the Lord, and there is no other. And that's why I do what I do. That's how I do what I do in your life. Great segue into communion, because did you notice the New Covenant language in what we just read? Because you have to understand, this is far reaching in its ultimate fulfillment into the millennium and eternity future, when Israel is restored, finally, for all eternity. I mean, it just, it's a perfect chapter to end on and celebrate communion after. Luke's Gospel, chapter 22. When the hour had come, He, speaking of Jesus, sat down, and the twelve apostles with Him. And He said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this, and divide it among yourselves. 
For I say to you, now second time now, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For those of you here, if you'll take the packaging and just peel back the top, and you'll have the bread, and just hold on to it for a moment. It's a symbol of the body, the body of our Savior that was broken for us instead of us. But how beautifully it ties in, because Israel in the Babylonian captivity is at their lowest point. They have been broken, and now God is going to restore that which has been broken. And that's what the bread symbolizes. The breaking of the bread, and it's a a metaphor, an idiom really, in the Middle East to this day, the culture of breaking bread together. We use that expression in the West. But you break bread. It's the, it's the breaking of the bread. And they would take the same bread and break it and partake of it, because it was a common union. That's the, the thought being, that bread that is in you is the same bread that is in me. It unites us together. It bonds us together. And my body was broken so that I could restore you to myself. So every time you do this, I want you to do this in remembrance of me and what I did for you. So would you partake of the bread with me? Thank you, Lord. Lord, how could we ever, this side of eternity, ever even begin to thank You enough for what You did for us, for Your namesake, in restoring us from our brokenness, the desolation in our lives. You're the God of new beginnings. You're the God of endless chances. Your mercy endures forever. There's no limit to it. It cannot be exhausted or depleted even. So Lord, thank You. Thank You for Your body broken for us on that cross that day. No greater love has any man than you, Jesus, that you would lay down your lives for us, your body broken for us. Thank you, Lord. Luke goes on to write, likewise, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup, and here it is, is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, we've talked about in the old covenant, it was kofar, Hebrew, cover. The sins were only covered until the new covenant, when the blood of Jesus Christ would no longer only cover, but cleanse. When Ezekiel is told to prophesy to Israel that there's a day coming, you guys, when I'm going to cleanse you of all of your unrighteousness, 
1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us, purify us of all of our filthiness, all of our unrighteousness. And He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west, no longer covered it as in the Old Covenant, removed, cleansed, forgotten. He remembers them no more. How about that? That's the cup of the new covenant in His blood that was shed in our stead. So that's what we're celebrating tonight. If you'll take and peel back the remainder of the packaging, you'll have the cup. And again, it's a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ, the blood of the new covenant for the remission of sin, the removing of sin, not the covering kofar of sin. It's removed and remembered no more. Though your sins be as scarlet, by the way, all of our sins, past, present, and future, the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all of our sin. Thank you for your blood, Jesus. Would you partake with me? And once you have, if you would please stand, we'll have Capona come up. We'll close in prayer and song. Lord, thank You for giving us this to do in remembrance of You, because it's a much needed reminder of that which is often forgotten. The price You paid, the sacrifice You made, because of Your love for us. You died for us, so that we could live with You for all of eternity. This gift of salvation, this gift of eternal life, because You paid in full and purchased this gift for us on the cross. Lord, sometimes we just need to be reminded of that. Because we live our lives, get caught up in the busyness and the stress of our lives, especially now in this world, this crazy world that we're living in. And it's just a, a much needed reminder that we can come back to that cross and celebrate what You did for us on that cross, and that You died for us on that cross so we could have eternal life. Thank You so much, Lord. We too, like You, in that upper room, celebrating the Passover that night with Your disciples. No less than two times You said You fervently desire, You eagerly await, as some translations render it. Well, Lord, we not only eagerly await, we can't wait until what we just did here tonight finds its ultimate fulfillment in Your kingdom at the wedding feast of the Lamb. Oh, Lord, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.